0: Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner, and joining me on the other line is John Sauber. How you doing, man?
2: Uh, terrible, thanks to the Philadelphia Eagles, but, you know, that's going to be the case after most Sundays this year.
1: We're off to a great start. I can tell this is going to be a great episode. Yeah, I'm going to be fired up. There is much to discuss in the NBA since we last recorded. It's been a while since we've talked. Uh, we, I don't think we've recorded since after game five of Raptors-Celtics. So it's been a little while. We've had some scheduling conflicts. And there's also just been a lot of action packed in the NBA. Obviously, the Celtics did end up winning that series in seven. in really one of the best playoff series that I can remember. In recent years. Like, I don't know how you felt about it. We haven't talked about it since then. But I thought that was just one of the all time playoff series, at least of the, let's call it the LeBron era. It was just one of the most interesting and fascinating and entertaining series that I have watched, basically, in the time that I've been covering basketball. I'm curious how you felt about it.
2: Yeah, no, it's... It's up there as one of the best. Uh, It it kind of felt like Toronto had no business being in the series the whole way through. Uh, Even game seven. I don't know
1: how they won three games. That's the thing. I cannot figure out how they got it to seven, and yet they had a chance to win the series.
2: Yeah. And you could argue that they were in a position to win it until they blew it uh, in game seven. Yeah. you know it i don't know it was just it was a strange series from that perspective because it never felt like it should have been close obviously it was the games were awesome they're all for the most part except for game one and game five they were all back and forth uh you know and and tight contests but i i mean i'm just kind of sad that toronto's out i was enjoying watching them play uh i don't like watching the celtics and like beyond my sixers fandom i just don't enjoy watching them play basketball they have a lot of guys that that just kind of annoy me like I'm disappointed the series is over. I'm disappointed the Raptors are out. But I am glad that we have a matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals that feels close. I kind of think had Toronto won, that they might have beaten
1: Miami in like five
2: or six games.
1: Well, that's the thing that, that I've really loved about this playoffs is that without sort of a clear favorite in either conference, I mean, the Lakers have sort of created some separation between them and the rest of the pack. But I still think that the Clippers are a viable contender. The Nuggets potentially, we'll talk about that. I think without that dominant super team that you just expect is going to be there, it, you know, at the end of the season, it's really opened things up and you can reasonably point to like six or seven teams between the two conference and say, they could realistically make the finals. The, the Houston Rockets are a great example, much like the Raptors lost in the second round, but in a different matchup could have very easily made, not very easily, but, but plausibly made the NBA finals. And it just matters. it it depends who you run into on your path to the NBA finals. It depends how you're playing in a given series. Uh, It just depends on, on kind of the matchups and the styles of the two teams playing in a series. And, you know, Ben Taylor made this point on, on Twitter where he said, if the matchups in the East had been flipped, we could have easily seen a a Milwaukee, Toronto Eastern conference finals. You know, it really could have gone either way. I think any of those top four teams in both conferences could have, could have, May you know carved out a viable path to the NBA Finals. It just matters who you run into along the way, and I've really enjoyed that. I I really like not being able to presume with absolute or at least ninety-nine percent certainty. Okay, the Warriors are going to win this series basically no matter what, unless there's a catastrophic injury, and then they might still win the series. You know, it's having that variation, the, the the variance, and just sort of the unpredictability of it. I don't know what the mainstream appeal of that is, but for me, and I think a lot of more devoted hardcore basketball fans. It's been really, really fun to watch.
2: Yeah, I I tend to agree that that if you flip the matchups, they would still be great. I don't think Milwaukee was really beating any of those three teams in the East, though. Uh, it, it kind of felt like they you know they struggled enough with the magic to give you an indication that okay things might not go well in the second right, round here. Right. And and Toronto and, and Boston are bad enough matchups for them too that they would have just stifled Giannis and, and Middleton in a similar way that Miami did. So strangely enough, the, it feels like the one seed in the East was the only team that probably didn't have a chance to make the yeah. Eastern conference finals after watching the semis play out. Uh, it does feel now though, like like the Lakers are the clear favorite to win a title. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I get the feeling that they're almost going to walk to this, like that this, this title is sort of theirs. Uh, even if the Clippers win uh, game seven, which we'll get to here in a second, uh, it, it feels like, they are the clear best team in the NBA. They have the best player in the NBA, uh, I, especially in the playoffs. Like LeBron is better than Giannis without a doubt in the playoffs. Uh, and and when he's on, I wouldn't like even there's consider nothing.
1: Giannis the the contender for that spot.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't either. I think it's Kawhi. Uh, yeah. But I I I don't think you know Giannis might not be in the top five honestly. Which I, I mean is a big indictment on on him at this point. But still, clearly the best regular season player in yeah. the league. Still crazy talented player who can be that that top player in the world in the playoffs at some point. Uh, but, you know, it's it's really strange um, to see the Lakers kind of emerge as that favorite because there, there weren't many teams I had more questions about as a true contender coming to the playoffs than the Lakers, um, especially the shooting, uh, especially who's going to create without LeBron. Rondo has been, I mean, huge for them in that regard. Uh, but watching LeBron just sort of do whatever he wants uh, whenever he wants is is still a sight to behold as someone who wanted the Rockets to drag that series on a little further because I like watching them play like it was incredible every time he LeBron would just attack the rim draw contact and and what do you do like he's scoring like it's still an easy layup even if you foul him Uh, especially a team as small as uh, as the Rockets are And, and you know regardless of who wins this this Western Conference semi between the Nuggets and Clippers I don't I don't know that there's a real way you stop LeBron. And I don't know that either of them has
1: the the rim protection to really even put in a dent in what the Lakers can do. That's interesting because I agree on LeBron, but I'm not quite as sold on the Lakers as the clear favorite. But we'll talk about that. The one thing I'll add before we move on to that series is the other thing I've enjoyed about these playoffs, and I think a, a byproduct of not having that one dominant team is you see each team in a, in a given series being able to play their own style. Like, you don't have the Rockets or the Trailblazers or whoever trying to play the Warriors game. You know, you don't have teams trying to match up with the Cavaliers. And specifically for LeBron James, you get the Raptors being able to play their brand of basketball against the Celtics' brand of basketball. And whoever wins, I mean, obviously there's going to be some sort of middle ground that both teams have to approach – and, and those are kind of the terms of the series. But you get a little bit more stylistic diversity in, in a particular series than you would. And, and even from series to series, too. Like, we could see Miami play a vastly different style than they did against Milwaukee now that they're playing the Celtics. It just kind of depends on the matchup. And I, I like that as opposed to, okay, everyone's going to try to play like the Warriors because that's the only chance you have. And even then, you're still probably not going to beat them. But let's move on to the the aforementioned Game 7 between the Clippers and Nuggets because at this moment we don't know who the Lakers are going to be playing in the Western Conference Finals, which if I had told you that a week ago would have been quite the shock because true to form, the Denver Nuggets have forced a Game 7 in a series they probably shouldn't have been in in the first place. Uh, This is after going to seven games and coming back from a 3-1 deficit in Round 1. They are now trying to do the same against the Clippers – and honestly, their last two wins have been some of the most fun games. I know we disagreed about Game 7 of the Utah-Denver series, but Denver's last two games have just been awesome, absolutely rousing victories. Um, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray seem to have figured something out in that series after kind of struggling early on. And frankly, it doesn't look like the Clippers have the, the, the firepower or, or really I should say the fight to, to close this thing out. And, you know, they've played with fire a little bit here the last couple games. And now they're in a situation where they can't afford to kind of come out, you know, lackadaisical or let their foot off the gas at halftime or whatever the problems have been in the last couple games. What's your read going into game seven of this series? And and what are kind of your expectations?
2: I think it's a true toss-up, which like you said, if you told me a week ago, I I would have said it was asinine. uh, There was no way that this game was getting past five uh, with the way both teams are playing. But but I think we're going to game seven. It's a true toss-up um it, I mean Kawhi and Paul George have been generally good uh, it's everyone around them has failed to step up which is pretty shocking for a team that we talked about like how the supporting cast is so perfect around those guys and they've been nowhere uh especially yeah. in game six they vanished uh you know it was it, it it's it's tough to look at, at some of the numbers that these guys put up given that the rules they're supposed to have uh, Michael Green was the most effective non-Kawhi, non-Paul George player uh, from a scoring standpoint, which is, which is really, really ugly. I mean, if it's just those two guys, they're not going to win game seven. They they need someone to step up. Fortunately for them, it doesn't have to be a lot. Like, it's just got to be Marcus Morris having a nice game, uh, you know, Reggie Jackson or Lou Williams or Landry Schammett making shots. Like, one of those guys has got to be good enough um, for this team to win, which is completely plausible. I, I think the downfall for the Nuggets here – is because Michael Porter Jr. shot the ball so well in Game Six and dominated it as he always does uh, when he has it. I think you you might be a little concerned that he's now uh, he thinks he's better than he is, which we know to be true based on his post game comments and press conferences. Yeah, what uh, did you think about that? By the way, oh, he's such a clown. Like he like what are you doing, dude? You're in the middle of a playoff series. Like su- like sub the the verbal version of subtweeting your your head coach. Like. Give me a break, man! Like, be he—he's not the the one of the two best offensive options on the team. He's just not like he should not have the ball that much. It should be in Jokic and Murray's hands more often than not. Uh, and he needs to be a role player. If he's cold, he shouldn't be playing at all. He is the worst defensive player in this series, and there are some bad defensive players in this series. You know, it's 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 tough to envision a way for the Nuggets to win the series if Michael Porter Jr. is going to try and control it again those comments lacked self-awareness to me because oh just total lack like you, it, it, not just self-awareness have... either like idiocy like it, it it was legitimate like there was no self-awareness it was selfishness like it was it was everything bad that you could say about like we talk about guys that that can be seen as ball hogs like a little williams type who doesn't do a ton of creating for other people uh you know even to quiet to some extent it isn't that great at creating for his teammates uh, but those guys are such elite scorers, and, and they've sort of got the clout because they've been veterans for so long that they can do what they want. And they're smart enough to know when they shouldn't be shooting it. Uh, they, they stop. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., clearly, is not smart enough to
1: do that. Few players in the playoffs pass less than Michael Porter Jr. I don't have the data in front of me, but I'm sure the numbers would back that up. Especially so it, now that Brooke Lopez is out. I mean, listen, he has a point in the sense that he was hot in the first half and basically didn't touch the ball in the fourth quarter. But that's also not so egregious of an approach as to warrant, you know, coming out to the media and basically airing your complaints out in the open. You know, I mean, say that stuff behind closed doors, say it to the coach, say it in the locker room, whatever it is. But like if Jokic had gotten, you know, not frozen out, but sort of disconnected from the offense in that same way, or Jamal Murray, sure, come out and say, listen, you know, we got to kind of reorient things and, and figure this out but Michael Porter Jr. is such a hot and cold player. And I I realize he's run hot a little bit more than he's run cold in these playoffs. But to me, I mean, maybe this sounds like I'm an old man, but he hasn't earned the right to come out and complain about his touches in a playoff game. He's just not that kind of player, not to mention, he never passes the ball. He's not a playmaker. He's not even looking to pass the ball a lot of the time. And he's terrible on defense. I mean, he helps the team win in one way. And like you said, if that way isn't working, if he's cold, he's not helping you win. It's like, okay, man, you know, I, if I were a nugget, I would kind of just tune that out and maybe even tune him out. And I'm actually surprised that they went two and no after he said that, because they have been playing better since he made those comments.
2: Yeah. And Sam Bassini and John Hollinger, both intimated in tweets after it happened that the back concerns weren't the only reason he dropped in the draft. And it makes sense. I heard because- that as
1: well around the time of the draft
2: he seems like a clown like he just seems like a clown and yeah. uh he he's i don't know that it's he doesn't have you know the experience to do it as much as he's just not good enough to do that like it would be like i'm, I'm it's tough to think of a, a comparable it would be like cam reddish coming out after a hawks game and being like i just didn't get enough touches that's why we lost i just didn't have the ball enough it's like, that's come actually on, a man, great like, comparison like it's it's it Except makes cam no reddish sense.
1: actually defends.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or at least knows how to defend too. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, isn't a dick uh, for all intents and purposes, which it seems like Michael Porter is like, that's a, that's just a mean thing to say to your teammate about your teammates too. Like, Oh, they had the ball too much. Oh, really dude. They're better than you won. But too, like, what does that say you think about your teammates? If you should, you think you should have the ball over them.
1: Yeah. Nikola you know, Jokic uh, is out here balling. He hasn't even hit the rim in Jokic has, the entire playoffs and you're saying, give me the ball. I'm
2: willing to concede on playoff Jokic now. Uh, he has been a monster, just an absolute monster. He's now, so good, that being man. said, he's been aided greatly by having Jeremy Grant next to him for stretches. Uh, that yeah. is such a huge deal for him. Um, and I think if Grant weren't there, I wouldn't be making that concession. Uh, so I don't think it's just about Jokic. I think credit needs to go to our, uh, you know the Tim Connolly and the, the Nuggets front office for building this team uh, so perfectly around him, which – you know, I, I talked after the first round series about how they might have to blow it up if it didn't work. But now that it's working, there's a real ceiling here for this team. And I think, and we'll, we'll talk about this whenever they get in, eliminated down the road, if they do, which, you know, there's a chance that they don't still. Uh, you know, I, I think trading Michael Porter Jr. this offseason is the right move because his value is probably never going to be higher. And he doesn't seem like he's going to help your team long term. And there's a chance that he is a negative asset, uh, you know, wherever he is in the future.
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's this sort of idyllic vision of the Nuggets, which is you have Jokic basically like at the foul line or maybe above the break at the top of the key and just four players circling around him until someone gets open and he passes it to him because he's the greatest passing big man of all time. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. does not fit into that style. I think that the thinking would be he's so good as a one-on-one scorer or could become so good as an individual scorer and he is a good cutter and he has a good synergy with Jokic that he doesn't need that, that you you can go out of your way you can sort of make that concession to let him play his game rather than fit into the rest of the team ethos because he could be that good as that kind of player and I do think you need that guy in a playoff series but the thing that complicates that is that Jokic looks like that guy and Jamal Murray even looks like that guy who can just go get you a bucket and so then it's sort of okay Are you really going to take the ball out of those guys' hands? Let's say everyone is in their prime. Let's say this is three years down the line. Are you really going to take the ball out of Jokic and Murray's hands to accommodate Michael Porter Jr.? And if not, is Porter going to buy into that style where he's just a cutter and sort of spot-up shooter who gets play calls, you know, plays designed for him at times but isn't the featured guy? Is it worth having him in that offense? I think that's the question that Denver may have to reconcile here at some point. Um, And as far as Jeremy Grant, like, that looks like a, long-term piece if they keep him around this summer because that's the exact guy that you want to have next to Jokic he can space the floor a little bit he puts a ton of pressure on the rim if you use him as a roll man and he's great on defense he can switch on the perimeter he can protect the rim do everything you need to do to sort of work around Jokic's limitations and they've even been playing him at the three a lot in this series so uh, I, I agree on that he's he's totally like the the flexible type of power forward that you want next to Jokic but As far as this series in particular and the Game 7, I thought Nikola Jokic actually put it really well after Game 6 when he said that all the pressure was on the Clippers. And I think that's absolutely true. There were not a lot of people who even expected the Nuggets to get to the second round, let alone force a Game 7 against the Clippers. I mean, you remember Jamal Murray's expression when he was told that he had to play in two days against the Los Angeles Clippers, who were the presumptive, in many people's minds, the presumptive title favorites. So Denver was not supposed to be here by most accounts. The Clippers, meanwhile, have all the expectations in the world on them. And if they fall short, they're going to be in a little bit of a mini crisis. Whereas Denver is like, they're kind of playing with house money at this point.
2: Yeah, I think the big question for the Clippers, you're absolutely right. The pressure's on them. Jokic's right when he said it. Uh, I think the big question is what kind of, where they go from here if they lose, because, and that's part of the reason the pressure's on them. This season is a catastrophic failure if they lose in the Eastern Conference semis. Like there is no way around it. They may only have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard for two years. If the first year is a second round exit, I mean, I don't know what changes they'd be willing to make, but it seems like the kind of uh, result that could, you know, be an agent for change, it would be it would allow them to make a bunch of changes. Um it's, it's a brutal look though to lose to a, a team that was completely gassed in game one and still like didn't have a lot of energy through the first few games of the series uh, and kind of muscled out that game two win just by getting hot from the field. And, and now all of a sudden you're in game seven with them when they were the ones that were drained. Uh, I, this could be, this could be a pivot point for the Clippers franchise and where the future goes uh, just this game in general. And I don't, I don't think they can afford to lose it. And I, you know, I don't know that they're going to lose it, but just the fact that they're here adds so much more pressure than it could ever add to the Nuggets.
1: I'm curious, too, if they lose, what that means for Doc Rivers because I don't think he's coached an amazing series. He has the luxury of leaning on talent that is that basically outstrips every other team in the league, but it is also incumbent upon the coach to put that talent in position to succeed. And I would say that there are really only three Clippers, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Avika Zubach, who have played up to – the level that they need to play for the Clippers to win a championship. Everyone else has fallen short of their standard and they need to play better undoubtedly. But I, again, I I think it's also on the coach to sort of facilitate that a little bit more. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that he's done an amazing job tactically in this series, but we'll see. Maybe he has, he has some adjustments drawn up for game seven.
2: Yeah. I'm with you. I don't think it, I mean, they look like the same Clippers team that's just sort of waiting uh For themselves to out muscle uh the the nuggets, and it hasn't happened yet uh we don't know if it'll happen uh I'm looking forward to this game though it's gonna be so like it should be such a good game. I'll be disappointed if it's not honestly, especially with how the nuggets have played of late yeah i'm I'm with you who who are you taking <sighs> like I want to take the nuggets with how they've played recently It's just so hard to mentally picture. Kawhi losing a game seven at this point—that uh, I'm gonna go with the Clippers with not much confidence at all.
1: I'm also taking the Clippers. I think they're the better team, and that's kind of what I default to in these situations, especially on a neutral court. Um, although I guess the neutral court works to Denver's favor in this scenario, but I mean they have the best player, they're the best team, and ultimately I like I picked them to make the finals at the beginning of the season. I picked them to make the finals at the start of the playoffs. I've sort of been with them every step of the way. I still think they have the most talent and the most most flexibility. Um, but but like you, I'm not a, completely confident in that pick.
0: Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here?
2: Your cold
1: snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived.
0: now get zero percent apr or up to 1500 bonus cash on the hyundai tucson now during the hyundai getaway sales event offers end soon call 562-314-4603 for details
1: plus all right let's move on to a preview of the eastern conference finals which was not the eastern conference finals that either of us were expecting maybe you were expecting did you pick miami to make the eastern conference finals you did i did i did i picked miami
2: toronto okay so Uh, you got half of that one
1: right i got neither of them right but either way i think this is going to be an awesome series this is kind of the example i was thinking about when i was celebrating the stylistic diversity In these playoffs, because I think both of these teams are just so interesting from a personnel standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, a strategic standpoint. These are just really two really talented, tough, smart teams with a lot of versatility and just a lot of dynamism. So, the way I'll frame this is I'll pose to you. Let's fast forward two weeks, say that Boston is in the finals. They've beaten the Miami Heat in however many games. What went right for them? What did they do? That allowed them to win this series, and then we'll flip it back the other way. And after you answer and say that Miami won, but but start with Boston. What does Boston need to do uh, to get by the Heat?
2: Uh, Their isolation scoring uh, was efficient. You know, I think this is going to be a lot about Kemba. This is going to be a lot about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and the kind of shots they can create for themselves. Uh, it's a series that honestly. Tatum should look really good in Uh, he he's going to get guarded in all likelihood by Jimmy Butler but I don't know if Butler can hang with him at this point in his career Uh, and honestly it's going to come down to whether or not Gordon Hayward plays like like the kind of player he can Uh, because if his comeback doesn't mean anything then Miami's probably going to win the series if it's a meaningful comeback and he contributes to this team and is a ball mover and uh, an occasional isolation scorer who can hit open shots Uh, and defend at a competent level, then they should win. Because I think Jalen Brown can guard Jimmy Butler. I think Jason Tatum can guard Jimmy Butler. I think they've got answers to everyone except for Bam. And I don't know that Bam is going to hurt you in such a detrimental way, and there's no way to scheme against him, that it's going to prevent Boston from winning this series. Uh, I actually think it's, as much as it pains me to say it, I I think it's more likely Boston wins this series uh, You know, regardless of outcome. If these two teams play at the same level, Boston's probably going to win because they have the shooting and the scoring to create for themselves, and uh, uh, and, and they have the, the defensive assets to, to shut down almost everyone on Miami. Uh, even even with Bam, you can help off the wing and, and cause trouble. And you know they're going to try and operate him from the high post, get him attacking downhill off the dribble against Tice. And if you do that, you have hands swiping at him with Smart and Brown and Tatum, and so you're making life difficult. Uh, I don't know. I just it's hard for me to imagine Jimmy Butler doing enough in this series to carry them by himself which I think is what he's going to have
1: to do. I actually like Miami's shooting and maybe even their overall offense better than Boston's. They've been better on offense in the bubble or a, in the playoffs I should say, but I mean, Boston's the better team. They had the higher seed for a reason. Although I think Miami, you know, the five seed, whatever they are, four or five, they played in the four or five series is, is not indicative of their actual talent level. I think they're better than that, but I also think Boston is better than your typical three seed. So this is an, an instance maybe where both teams are more talented than their record. Um, I'm with you. I think Tatum and Walker are going to be key in this this series, not only for their ability to hit tough shots, which is clearly going to be important against a, a pretty versatile Miami defense, but also can they draw help and find other guys? Can they facilitate offense for others? Because that's the thing I think Miami does really well, is, and, and part of the reason why I like their offense better, is Butler's really, and maybe Drogic to a degree too, those are really their only isolation, pick and roll, go get a bucket type of scores. But what the Heat do so well is they collapse the defense, draw defenders, and kick to shooters. And that's why I like their shooting better because Boston's going to be taking a lot of pull-up threes with Tatum and Walker, um, even Brown to a degree. But they don't have amazing spot-up shooters unless Tatum's getting a bunch of looks, but he's, he's probably not going to because he's going to be covered. Miami, on the other hand, most of their threes are are – drive-and-kick, open catch-and-shooter, like one dribble, Duncan Robinson coming around a screen type of looks. They're not as difficult. They're usually not as contested. And if they can get enough of those types of shots, I think they have the firepower to, to outscore Boston. The question is going to be, is Boston's defense going to fold enough? Because their, ha- their defense in the bubble, and especially their half-court defense, has been unbelievable. They have the best half-court defense of any playoff team. I think they have the second best – no, I'm sorry, the first best uh, playoff defense, period. They've been almost impossible to score on, and we saw the Raptors just really had to grind things out against that defense. So that's probably the case for Boston is they just are able to, to cover enough bases and play that whack-a-mole game against Miami's offense and take away those easy buckets they like to get. The other thing I would say is, is making Miami play in the half court because Boston hasn't been as good in transition defense – and Miami's not an amazing half-court offense. They're good, but they're not an amazing half-court offense. And Boston's half-court defense combined with that, if they can slow the game down, keep Miami out of transition, I think that's a big win for the Celtics.
2: Yeah, and, and that's sort of why I, I think you know Jimmy Butler's going to have to carry this team offensively because the Boston defense has been so swarming in the half-court. Uh, I don't think you're going to get those looks from Robinson and Hero and Dragic and Crowder and you know everyone else along the wings and perimeter in general. To to have a sustainable half court offense, so it's going to come down to a lot of Jimmy Butler attacking the rim, getting open looks, being willing to take threes because he needs to in this series more than any other series uh, to to create space for for other shooters and honestly to to make uh, to make Boston guard him from the perimeter because otherwise there's not a lot of reason to uh, there's sort of they're sort of Toronto with the half court offense uh, offensively Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to generate open looks by moving the ball well. And by, by creating driving kick scenarios and, and Boston did a good job of shutting a lot of those down against Toronto. The, the difference is, like I said, having Jimmy Butler to create for himself when things go badly uh, to get a look, uh, you know, when he needs to, to not have Fred Van Vliet, just huck a heave up, you know, from nearly half court for no real reason, uh and, and have them control the ball for 22 seconds of the shot clock like they have an actual
1: half court score and someone that can can run an offense and and can get a bucket on his own the other thing we're going to be tracking and I mentioned it earlier but I'll reiterate it is Jason Tatum's passing and kind of his playmaking more broadly I think he's really improved as a passer since the the league went into the bubble and I think especially in the playoffs he's made some impressive passer passes and really grown in that area I'm curious if he's drawing that help and if he's, you know, he can kind of flip things around on Miami and actually create some kickout threes, which Boston doesn't get a ton of. It seems like um, create some kickout threes for his teammates off of those pick and rolls and those isolations. And if he can't do that, that makes it a lot easier for Miami to send extra defenders for them to help for them to double, whatever it is, take the ball out of his hands, and then he's not punishing you. So really that that's kind of the essence of it. Can he punish the extra attention and can Boston exploit that? when Miami throws it his way let's flip this around and assume that Miami wins this series two weeks from now they're playing the Lakers the Clippers the Nuggets whoever it is in the NBA finals probably the Lakers we'll get to that how does it happen what what is what needs to go Miami's way in this series for them to have a chance
2: Jimmy Butler goes supernova and I think that's that's really what this is going to come down to it's going to be his ability to carry a team and to be the best player on the court which he has to be for at least four games for Miami to win the series like i said i don't i don't think they have enough half court scoring to to rely on anyone other than him uh and you know they're they're going to struggle to get some of those open threes because Boston's defense is so swarming. So he absolutely needs to be uh, the best player on the court offensively, and he has to be service well, not not serviceable. He has to be good against Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or whoever he's guarding in this series, uh, because Boston has too many options to score. Uh, Miami doesn't have enough you know high quality high quality defenders to stop them. Uh, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero might get picked on the series a little bit. Especially Hero because of his his uh, negative wingspan and you know his his sort of it's not slow foot speed as much as it is his lack of uh, lack of quickness especially when you know laterally and moving backwards uh, he's prone to get blown by especially by someone like Tatum or Brown so you know they they might have targets to pick on this series which there weren't a ton of those last series Fred VanVleet is at least strong enough to hang with a lot of guys same with Kyler Lowry it's tough to pick on both of them uh, Miami has more options in that sense to to be exploited. So, so Jimmy Butler's got to be at his best. He's got to be barking out signals. He's got to be the one to want to take on that matchup that, you know, everyone said Giannis uh, or got on Giannis because he didn't want to guard Jimmy Butler uh, for the first couple games of that series. Butler has to be the one to take the onus on him and and guard Boston's best players. And he's got to be able to go for 44 minutes a game too. Like this all sounds like a lot of mounting evidence against Miami. And I I think it's probably because there is a lot of mounting evidence that Miami's not going to win this
1: series. I'm a little more optimistic about Miami. I, I think, I mean, like I've been saying since the playoffs started, I think they're really, really good, and I'm, I become more convinced by them. I mean, remember, they dispatched of the Bucks far more quickly than the Celtics dispatched of the, the Raptors and obviously swept in the first round as well.
2: I also think the Raptors are just better than the Bucs, though. Yeah, they
1: the are, playoffs. they are. But, I mean, I, I was impressed by the way Miami made quick work of the Bucs. I mean, even considering the Bucks' limitations, that was, uh, that was pretty impressive. This series to me sort of comes down to Boston's defense versus Miami's offense. You know, can my, like I touched on earlier, can Miami create those openings for the kickout threes? Duncan Robinson, can he get going? The Bucks did a pretty good job kind of quieting him in the second round. Can he get a little bit more free against those Boston defenders, which there's a lot of evidence that says no, because they have a lot of guys that can really get around screens on the perimeter and track good shooters. Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart both come to mind. Uh, and Boston will have some interesting decisions as far as who to put on Robinson and then what that means as far as their ability to guard Jimmy Butler. The other thing I would say for Miami's defense is whether they can contain the ball, particularly Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum at the point of attack, because I thought the Celtics did a really nice job punishing Toronto's help in the last round and, and making the Raptors help them and kicking out for corner threes. They got a bunch of corner threes. Yeah. in in the last round, Miami does not help as liberally as Toronto does. Toronto is probably the most active help defense in the entire league. Miami is a little bit more conservative, but if, if Boston can create those you know, similar openings to create, I'm sorry, if, if, uh, yeah, if Boston can create similar openings uh, to, to create kickout threes, particularly corner threes, and get the, the, the ball moving and, and kind of the churn going and allow guys to attack closeouts, Jalen Brown comes to mind as a guy who could really benefit If the offense gets rolling, he's a a good cutter, good at attacking closeouts, kind of working the second side. So if Miami can kind of shut that down on the initial action and make the Celtics isolate, make them work for their tough shots, uh, obviously it kind kind of goes without saying that's going to be a big help for them. Robinson, like I mentioned, needs to have a big game or two to me. This could be a series actually where Bam Adebayo has a little bit more room to work than he did last series. The Bucks, obviously, their whole thing is taking away the rim and emphasizing the interior, and Bam not really being an outside shooter. It felt a little cramped for him, and I wonder if this series allows him a little bit more room to breathe and make plays off the short roll and keep that off, you know, connect the offense in the way that he typically does. Even though the Celtics have had a better defense in the playoffs than the Bucks, that particular area of the game could be one where Bam really shines. And then a big question I have is whether Andre Iguodala has another elite defensive series in him. Like if if they can put him on Tatum in the fourth quarter and just trust him to get stops and force tough shots, that, that could honestly swing the series Miami's way. Because I don't think you want to overtax Jimmy Butler by doing that for a full game. And if you can bring Iguodala off the bench and let him close games on Jason Tatum, you know, that might be enough to kind of push this thing Miami's way. Um, and then Dragic, you know, just can he, can he keep up what he's been doing, getting into the teeth of the defense, driving and kicking, hitting floaters? That's a shot that he was really proficient at against the Bucks, and probably one he'll get against the Celtics as well.
2: The Bam point, I think, is is an excellent one about him having space to operate. Uh, it, it's crucial for the Miami offense because he's he's basically their secondary creator. You know, past Jimmy, uh, they rely on him so much to generate looks for himself, to generate looks for others. Uh, he should have a favorable matchup in Daniel Tice. Uh, they, I mean, it's it's hard to have less space in the paint than you can have against the uh, against the Bucks, like you said, because again, like you said, the whole idea is to stop teams from letting uh, from getting to the rim, and this should open the floor up for Bam. So there, there is an avenue for him to sort of do more work and create more offense, and maybe that's the other avenue to Miami winning the series is, is, is him being the creator. Uh, I just I can't get there with like you said with with smart and brown chasing guys around like I can't get there with those guys having enough enough shots uh, you know to to make something happen. Uh, And it's, it's why I I lean Boston in the series. Although I've underestimated Miami a lot this year and, you know, I've tried not to in the playoffs. It just feels like this is a bad matchup for them. Whereas the bucks kind of felt like the perfect matchup.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And, And I think the other thing you could say in Miami's favor is that they're a little bit better equipped to attack Kemba Walker than Toronto was like Lowry and Van Vliet obviously can work off the dribble and are good in pick and roll and all that. But that's not really their game, like the one on one. If if you're baiting them into going at Kemba Walker every time, I actually think that's kind of a win for Boston, just cause those guys aren't amazing isolation players, even if they are great at especially Lowry, at basically everything else. Miami has Drogic, Miami has Butler, Miami has guys who can work off the dribble against Kemba Walker and get that matchup when they want to. So I'm curious. Boston has always done a really good job of of getting Kemba off of those matchups and kind of Avoiding him getting exposed, but I wonder if Miami just pokes at that so much that, that Kemba has to be involved and they can create some easy offense that way. It's going to be interesting. This is another series, too, where I think we could see a lot of small ball, a lot of switching, and the emphasis on skill and agility, I think, could be a huge theme in the series.
2: Yeah, uh, sorry to Taco Fall fans. I don't think we're going to get to see him too much this series. Uh, it, it's hard for but these teams if, to go. What bait. if the
1: Miami has to run an out of bounds play with half a second left in the final yeah. seconds of the game?
2: And give up the three anyways. Yeah, and then still get scored on it. <laughs> give up the shot. <laughs> no, I like, these teams are going to go small no matter what. Uh, they could go I, – I, I agree with you. I think that there could be, like, some microball to this. I think we could see, you know, the biggest guy on the court be Jason Tatum uh, at, Well, but at the, th- in the time. interesting
1: thing is, though, I think both Bam and Tice can play that small style – that's the other interesting wrinkle is these teams can play small while still keeping their centers on the floor.
2: Yeah. And, and I think when we say small for this series, it's about taking those centers off even. Uh, and it's about, uh, and it's about, you know, the biggest guy for Miami being Jay Crowder. And like I said, the biggest guy for really, you Boston think Miami Dan will get played Jason off the Tatum. floor. I don't think he'll get played off the floor. I think there are lineups we could see out there that take, when he's off the
1: floor that they may go okay. micro ball. So you're uh, saying you know, that no Kelly Olynyk, no Myers Leonard, they just go straight to a, small yep, okay. straight to jay crowder at the five i could uh, even see Derek jones jr being that guy. yeah
2: jones jr would be a pretty ideal although he's big like he's like 6'10 so it's not yeah. that small
1: uh could be a know, series for grant williams too
2: yeah grant williams could see a lot of time and have a big role here and i think this series we're going to see that more than than we would any other series especially uh, if they make the finals because they're not going to be able to go small in the finals
1: yeah i think that's all that i had on this this series i will note boston won the season series in the regular season two to one although justice winslow played in one of those games which like is not relevant at all in this series uh that was the blowout back in december miami was second in playoff net rating or is second so far boston is third so i, I honestly the thing that was really surprising to me or, or just really interesting is as i was going through the numbers these two teams are really close to one another in a lot of metrics, three-point defense, three-point offense, overall net rating, offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency. The margins between what the, these two teams have done in the playoffs is fairly slim. Obviously Miami has the better net rating and the better record in the playoffs because they got rid of Milwaukee so quickly. But th- these two teams I think are statistically fairly evenly matched, although Boston was the better regular season team by a, a decent margin. but yeah, this is going to be awesome. I, I really am looking forward to this series. Again, you could have put any of those top four Eastern teams in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I would have been thrilled. But uh, the way these two teams have played so far in the playoffs, I think makes this a, a super fascinating series. I thought the better team won that Toronto-Boston series. I thought Boston outplayed the Raptors uh, as much as I wanted to see the Raptors move on because they're my favorite team. Boston outplayed them. They were the better team. They deserved to move on. I think they're going to make for the more compelling series against the Heat.
2: I'm struggling to to see in my head a way Miami wins this. Uh, I know that they're good. I know that that they uh, they have the talent to win this series. I know that they they run an offense that should get them open looks. It's just tough for me to see it without Boston's playing, uh, which you know now that we're here. I, I think Boston takes this in
1: seven. I will also go Boston in seven. I would rather see the Heat win. I think the Heat are more interesting.
0: Now get 0% APR or up to $1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
0: Now, Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: All right. Final order of business for the afternoon. Uh, We're slowly falling more and more behind on these postmortems, but we are going to hit the rockets given that they were the team most recently eliminated from the postseason. Um, There have been quite a few swirlings and rumors and just things going on with the Rockets since their exit against the Lakers a couple nights ago, most notably of which I think is that Mike D'Antoni confirmed to be gone from the Rockets, Uh, obviously did not get the contract extension heading into this season, and uh, it was presumed that this could be his last year, but it has now been made official. In addition to Tillman Fertitta being a cheapskate, what is your main sort of read on this situation with D'Antoni?
2: Tillman Frittita is a cheapskate. I mean, it's really tough to read it any other way. He's an awesome coach. They have an awesome team. Uh, he should be back, and and Frittita doesn't want to pay him.
1: Could we see a detonation of the Rockets this offseason? Like, I know the offseason is going to be short, so maybe we won't see that much activity. But this feels like if D'Antoni's out, if Westbrook is going to be this, like, are the Rockets better off just kind of blowing this thing up i know they've been reluctant to do that for the last however long maury has been there but are they better off just kind of pressing the the detonate button and starting over
2: uh i think they are i don't think it's going to happen i mean what do you first off what do you do with russ like how do you even go about you can't that can't do anything you know, like that's why they shouldn't have yeah for like, him.
1: that was the argument not to trade for him is
2: but then again you were going to be stuck with chris paul's contract too so like they were stuck with a contract. at least chris paul's a good player <laughs> yeah true that's fair but like, I mean, from a blowing it up standpoint, there was no way. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're gonna have to run it back. Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel clueless with this one. Like, I there's no real avenue to fix this team. Like, they're they're probably gonna go get a big since they're moving on from D'Antoni. We'll see what they actually do uh, moving
1: forward. But I, I mean, I think it might be time to j- trade James Harden. It just feels like you can only run into the same wall so many times, and they have found so many different ways to run into the wall over the last five years. Obviously, this year it was they took this small ball idea to its logical extreme. Maybe they stick with that. Maybe they just say, hey, we, we got somewhat close. We found something of a rhythm playing this style. Let's run it back one more year and hope that Russ gets healthy and looks good. I don't know how feasible that's going to be. P.J. Tucker, I believe, is going to be a free agent. They're going to have to pay to keep him around, which they might not do given who, who owns their team. And, and, you know, like, are we at the point where Harden just needs – better talent around him? Like can can you really configure this a different way? Like the Rockets have have built so many different versions of this team around Harden and and none of them have worked. And and understandably so. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just like they've played this hand every way that they can. And I don't really see how else they can remedy this short of trading their two best players. I don't know. What let's say they don't blow it up. What what's the what's the most logical way they can run this back in a way that that makes sense
2: you can't get mad at me it's the only logical one i can think of i genuinely tried so hard oh to my think God. of it diff i know i know i know i know i genuinely tried so hard to find someone that made sense that a team would be willing to get rid of that could make it work with this team uh especially because i don't think they're going to be running the same system next year like i can't imagine james harden's refusing to take mid-range shots next year like i think I think they're in for a philosophical change now that d'antoni's gone yeah um and they're not going to be playing the math as drastically and al horford is sort of the five that can make this engine go that's the mold of five that i think they need to bring in you know obviously he's gettable they're going to move him in, in philadelphia and he makes too much sense to me in houston but i i genuinely like tried to think of another big that made sense like the mark gasol makes sense but are they going to be able to go get mark gasol serge Ibaka makes sense yeah, I but i they get don't serge know Ibaka? That that's
1: the kind of big that would make sense unless james harden is just going to change the way he plays which to this point there isn't a lot of evidence that he will same with russell Westbrook; so I, like I, I those think, guys need a rim rolling finishing big man like if they could get rudy gobert and i don't know if they can or not he, he's actually can. due for a contract extension that he might not get too so maybe that is a feasible target but Like that's the the style of guy that they need. Someone who can just crush dunks around the rim and help their interior defense. Or you can say, all right, we're going to run James Harden off of screens and have him get DHOs and try to attack downhill that way. In which case, Horford or Gasol or whoever it is can be really helpful. Or Demonte Sabonis if you want to go after him. but
2: you know, I think Sabonis is another good example. I think Miles Turner would make sense. I don't think those guys are attainable, though, because if you're Houston, what do you trade? Like, what do you have that you can sell a team on? Like, hey, you can take this back. No one's taking Russ from you unless you're trading him for John Wall, which – might be a worthwhile exercise at this point just to give it another go at. It's the saddest trade in NBA <laughs> Oh, I'd, I'd love it. So, but it's, it's just like Good more God. indicative of where the Rockets are at, just trading for another lead guard on a massive contract that they hope works out. going to keep
1: hard. getting worse. They're just going to keep yeah. getting worse and worse <laughs> value until eventually they have like, I don't know, Ramon Sessions on a mid level exception.
2: Hey, I'm here for it. I'm here for little Ramon Sessions. Uh, but, no, I, I, think, I think the DHO action and, and working hard and on the wings is the way to go to save his body, too, for the playoffs. Like, I, I think a guy like Horford makes more sense than a rim runner because, a, like, who are you getting that's a rim runner that's going to be effective enough on offense and defense? Like, Nerland's Noel, I think, is the ideal guy, but do you really trust him for 36 minutes out no, there? I do. Uh, right, and, and so, like, if you're going to do this, you need someone you can play for an extended period. Uh, and, and well, Horford's I mean, Clint sort of, Capella
1: would be a good fit. I wonder if the Hawks are open for
2: this. Here's the thing: I don't know if Capella Capella would be a good fit at this point with Russ because you need the spacing.
1: Like, oh well, but that's, f- if if we're assuming Russ is on the team, then
2: well, he has no to. Who, a good fit. Where else is he going?
1: Yeah, that that's the thing. That's what I was saying. The Rockets, but but, but the, again, this is
2: this is why I kept coming to this conclusion of Horford because he can space the floor capably.
1: Yeah, God, they're in a tough spot, man. The last three years of the Rockets have basically been Daryl Morey and James Harden in a raft floating down a river toward a waterfall. And there's something to grab onto to save them from going over, which was the 2018 playoffs. And they reached for it, and they just, it just barely slipped out of their fingertips. And now they are slowly moving into the current that they can't get out of, and eventually they're just going to go over the waterfall. Like They can't turn back they're just gradually the current is getting faster and faster and stronger and stronger and eventually they're just going to fall over the waterfall presumably to their death
2: yeah and i the only way to get out from in front is to trade james harden like like that's the only the only like that's the life raft is someone sending them a a kayak or a, a boat of some sort or some sort of like even a uh uh a parachute to prevent them from from taking the impact of the waterfall and just floating away afterward is yeah. to get rid of james harden or unless someone decides to take on russell westbrook and be dumb they the traded their are liable paddle to do for it. a
1: stick and thought that they'd do a better job fighting <laughs> against the current
2: honestly can is there any other attainable five you can think of that really makes sense this it's why like i understand that we talk about the Sixers too much on here and i je- desperately tried to avoid that but like it's the only fit that makes sense with a team desperate enough to act in the same way. Like that's what you need. You need someone else to be as desperate as you are to find a trade partner in this situation. And there aren't going to be a lot of them in the NBA this year because a lot of teams are going to stay in pat and just hold steady and let things play out as they may. Uh, But
1: you know, Philadelphia is one of them. They're going to be desperate. They have a guy that, that fits what you can do. The answer might be a three team trade with the Rockets, the jazz and someone else. Could the jazz, involve Gobert in a sign in trade that also sends westbrook to a third destination and that third destination sends the jazz something the knicks for mitchell robinson yeah i mean maybe that's it maybe maybe that's sort of the although but then you have to match but, salaries if you're the knicks you have to find a, but, i don't think i think the knicks have enough
2: space to just take him in
1: Okay, so let's – if that's the case, maybe that would make sense. Would, would they be desperate enough for Westbrook? Probably. I mean, it, it kind of seems that way. We'll see that's, what the draft is That's kind of the like, team
2: but... – like, if, if there's any team that can kind of make a move uh, for Westbrook, I think it might be the Knicks. And I think it's because they're – like, they're so desperate for some type of star or some type they're of They're the only team with a that. worse
1: owner than the Rockets. Yeah. Debatable. Yeah, it's...
2: No, I don't know that it's debatable.
1: Really? You think Dolan's worse than Tillman?
2: Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he, he might be like the, the Rockets at least win and he stayed out of the way enough of Maury to let him do his thing. Like, I don't know. I think, do I think
1: it was more Maury just being good enough at his job to like overcome Tillman. That's true. That's true.
2: But like that's Tillman a- is – Tillman, like his team has won. And, and you have to like – Yes, that's true. Regardless, like he hired someone then good enough to, to circumvent his shittiness. Although you could also argue that,
1: that Tillman was the one that threw Maury and Harden – Harden's raft into the current, you know, you could also argue that. <laughs> he needs to sell the team first off. Like I just yeah. get that out of the way. And like, if they
2: lose Maury because of Tillman, like if, if Maury, resigns, if, if Tillman ever fires him, uh, because of, uh, Maury standing up for human rights in Hong Kong, like, I mean, Tillman's going to get what he deserves and hopefully nobody takes that job. And hopefully that team goes to shit for decades.
1: That's the other interesting element of this is Maury's place because he was, sought after for the Sixers jobs a job a couple off seasons ago he's obviously a highly respected general manager and could probably find a job wherever he wants and in the past it was it was sort of why would he leave Houston he has James Harden and has built this awesome team and they're contending they're challenging the Warriors yada 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 fast forward to now they lost in the second round of the Lakers in five games and it doesn't look great for the future in Houston I wonder if Maury is just like, yeah, you know what? I'm tired of working with this guy who is basically cutting corners at every turn, won't pay the luxury tax, no matter what, even though we have a clear path to the championship. If he pays the luxury tax, it was worth it when we were good. I was willing to put up with this when we had a chance to win the championship. But now that we don't, I'm moving on. Like, I wonder if he looks at the situation and says, you know what? Like someone else can figure this out. I'm going to go make $10 million a year somewhere else and try to win a championship.
2: Yeah. And and I think that's the question. And I think that's, I think we might get a resolution to it this off season. I hope so, man. It, it feels like the perfect storm for it to happen. Where's he going to go though? Like right now, Philly. And they talked to him last year. Yeah. Like, that's, and that's why it, yeah. it seemed like those talks made it pretty far along. I just, i listen, I didn't want to be the person to break bring it up because I hate bringing up the Sixers now because it, we talk about them too much, but like, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah you know, and watch him bring Hinky back as an assistant, that would be just chef's kiss. Perfect. It uh, would never happen, but you know, I, I think it's the, it's the job that makes the most sense. And he would sort of have the superstars that he desires. And I think that would be a lot of fun. Like, you
1: know, and he regardless. would also put a roster around that makes sense.
2: Yeah. He knows what shooting you know? looks like. Out I mean, in that would be
1: mutually beneficial and, Or he and they gets might... to build a contender and the Sixers get a general manager that knows how to build a contender around their players.
2: Yep. And, you know, is competent. I think Sixers fans at this point just want competence in the front office, which has yeah. evaded them since Henke, uh resigned in, uh, what, 20 – That how was so like long ago now? 15? 15 or 16. It's been so long at this point.
1: Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just – the more I look at this for the Rockets, like they either need to find a way to trade Westbrook or this is just going to keep slipping away gradually, you know, like, like the, the analogy that we ran into the ground of falling over the waterfall like that. That's where they're headed. That's where they're headed. And unless they are willing to, to exploit a dumb team or pull off some genius move that I can't foresee. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how this ends in, in the Rockets improving next season. That's what I'll say. I, I don't know how they get better from here because the league is going to be prepared for micro ball next year. PJ Tucker is going to be a year older. Robert Covington is going to be a year older. James Harden. I mean, these are all veteran guys, Eric Gordon, same thing who has dealt with injuries too. Like this is not a team that's going to improve over time unless they make some big, bold roster move. And like that. And if that's the case, maybe they do trade James Harden. Maybe it's like, Listen, who has enough we, to get him, though? That's what I was just going to ask. We what can't do, you, do anything with James Harden, so let's try to get something in return for him.
2: I think, in, like I said, who, who has enough to get him? One is a huge concern there uh, in trading him. I mean, if he's Two, available, like, some team would find a way, right? Do you just try to tag Russ to him, though?
1: I is that the move? Could.
2: It's like you, $100 million there, in salary. $80 million. But there, there are ways. Like There are teams that have enough bad contracts like and and enough assets to get it back um will it happen probably not but like I think that's what that might be the best way out of this and I do think as much as I praise D'Antoni I don't I'm I'm now questioning whether or not he was maximizing James Harden uh it felt like he was maximizing James Harden the scorer. uh doesn't feel like he was maximizing James Harden the offensive player um I agree there was a lot of Cutting that James Harden did in Oklahoma City, there was a lot of spot up shooting that he did that made him so awesome. And if he can sort of blend that version of him with this version of him and plays defense, like which he's shown, like everyone likes to shit on James Harden for how he defends. When he tries, he's a good defender. He's big and he's strong, and there's a level of Kyle Lowryness to him where he's not gonna, he's not yeah, but he to can't in defend the post in
1: space at all, and he can't get right. over a screen. And,
2: but that's an effort thing. Like, he can
1: get over screens. I'm not like even the, sure. Like, in the highest leverage moments of the playoffs, he looked bad defending in space and against the he, pick. And he just, but there was just no effort.
2: Like that's and that's. and But part if you're not going like, to try then, are you ever going to try? Well, I think that the workload was so much for him offensively that he sort of couldn't okay. try. Like, yeah. when, when, you, when you put that much on him on offense, you can't try on defense that hard without yeah. being completely I still completely don't love gassed. his technique
1: on defense. I still think, neither, like, even if he tried I, harder, he just has bad technique.
2: I think but I think there's more you can get out of him. Like there was also how much time you think they spent coaching defensive technique in Houston? Real Very time. Very little. Right. So like I think if I think if he goes to a more ideal situation, like he could improve upon that. Uh I just like you're right. Like someone will make an offer for him. I just don't know what you even target. Like what is what is a realistic trade for a top ten player in the NBA who if he can meld those two things together, has a chance to be a top four player in the NBA.
1: Well, that's the thing. You you need I mean the rockets don't care about this but if if you're the team trying to trade for James Harden you have to I mean maybe you just view it as hey this guy's really good we can get him let's go but I think you also want to try to say how can we make this guy better do we have the coach do we have the the surrounding talent the front office to really get more out of this guy and and maybe the maybe the answer is no just because he's going to be older but so so the better framing is is probably can we can we tweak his style and maybe make him more kind of what you're talking about just kind of tweak the way he plays a little bit make him more effective allow him to age a little bit better and for a lot of teams the answer is no like i'm not sure who the team is that can look at james harden and say you know we can work with this and and pursue a championship you know like there are teams that can work with it and win 50 games but are you really going to compete at the highest levels with this james harden moving forward if you're a team other than Houston, and even Houston, the answer is no. So I don't know. I don't know. The Rockets are just in a tough spot.
2: Might be in the toughest spot in the NBA. Like it's, yeah. I, I mean, they team. at
1: least have a playoff team if they run it back. I mean, Although, but, in next year's West, I'm not. I guess Harden's just so good on his own they could get the eight seed. But yeah, geez, no, the, just they'd be a playoff team no
2: matter what with James Harden. Yeah, uh, as long as they have that current roster construction around him, he's too good. Often, but again, but especially just in the regular keep season. running into the same wall every single year, right? And that's why. But that's the I don't think it's worth keeping them. Yeah, like yeah. I'm just saying they would be a playoff team if they kept him. I don't, I don't know. I, they, you're right. They might not have enough time. The offseason is going to be weird. It's going to be short. Uh, you know, but I think they should probably move on from him. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I think it will depend a lot on whether or not they're willing to move on from Maury because I don't think Maury's willing to move on from Harden.
1: Yeah, and they also don't have a lot of money coming off the books next year. I was mistaken when I said P.J. Tucker is going to be a free agent. He actually has one more year left on his deal. And he's already 35. They don't have a lot of open room next year to sign new players. Like if they're going to restructure this, it has to be through trades and they don't have a lot of tradable players other than Tucker who they're not going to trade because he's, he's too important to what they do unless they can get. And that's the thing. Tucker's on such a good deal. You can't trade Tucker for someone better than Tucker because he's on one of the best contracts in the NBA. You can't trade Westbrook because he's on one of the worst contracts in the NBA Covington the same deal. He's on one of the best deals. Eric Gordon is, I mean, maybe he's the piece, but like how much better can you get with a $20 million player? I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad that I'm not the front office or not in the front office of the Houston Rockets. This is a mess.
2: I'm not, that'd be fun. Really? Yeah, man. Like, I mean, honestly, I, guess, I, like, I think there's a level of like, obviously it sucks not contending, but this idea that you have to, you know, really be innovative to make the changes. Yeah. Like, I think there's a level of, fi- like, finding those avenues. Yeah,
1: but there's, uh, it's also, like, the Rockets have been so innovative for the entire time Harden has been there that they found all these new market inefficiencies and tiny advantages. It's like, if, if you're them, you got to be thinking, like, oh, my God, we have to do this again? We have to find another way to work around Tillman Titta being a cheapskate, to work around our players getting older, to work around not being as talented as the other teams, like, that would be exhausting.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, we'll see, though. I think, I think change is probably coming. Uh, I don't know what in what form. I Man, if they run it back, that sucks. I'm sorry for Rockets fans
1: if they run it back. Yeah, and maybe the new coach, whoever it is, I mean, Ty Lu and Sam Cassell have been two of the names that have been floated out. Maybe the new coach gets something out of them that D'Antoni couldn't. I don't know. But, it, again, it's hard to imagine getting a more efficient offense than Mike D'Antoni got out of that Rockets team. Tillman Fertitta is always going to be what gets in the way most here. That's what it comes back to. That's always what it comes back to for the Rockets the last three years. When this impediment is in your way, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't fire the owner unless you're Adam Silver. Danny LaRue likes to say it's the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA, and he is probably correct about that. That's where we'll leave it with the Rockets. Not in a good place.
2: Never seems to be left in a good place for the Rockets at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, like always, they're kind of at this crossroads of identity. You know, this time I think they have less to cling to moving into next season than they ever have before. John, anything you want to say before we get out of here, final thoughts or, you know, branch out into something different.
2: No. uh, I mean, I always say it black lives matter and, you know, it continues to be so disturbing to see so many black people gunned down by police. So many people gunned down by
1: police. It's upsetting and we've got to do better. We do indeed. And we have not so far, which is kind of the depressing part about this. But again, I will say vote. That's not, the only thing but it is a big thing there's obviously more that needs to be done but you can do your part a small part though it may be uh, by voting on november 3rd again georgia october 12th through october 30th if you want to do early voting vote by mail whatever it is look up when these dates are for your state almost all states have early voting and vote by mail Uh, you can do it you can show up on november 3rd if you'd like get this done cross that step off the list and then we can. We can proceed from there, hopefully. John, until next time, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon.